0: If I can do it, you can do it too. And how can I help you do this?
1: Don't but settle. I'm ever. Not. Don't settle.
0: Just go full sin. His battle our fight. It's, you know, a goal, an achievable goal, and maybe even a high, high, high
1: level goal you may never hit. Well, it's, it's a wonderful way for us to make each other
0: stronger. I, I feel like that my strength comes from him, and so I try to give all my stuff, you know, to him. You know,
1: take down those barriers um, and those false beliefs that they can't do it. Put yourself in uncomfortable positions because it's going to happen and the sooner you can get comfortable being uncomfortable, the better you're going to be.
0: In this moment, you can decide to take hold, move forward and go head on, up, over and through. It's do or do not. Through these stories and perspectives, we hope to give insight to the challenges we all face
1: every day. Paying it forward through learned experience. Because quitting is too hard. For those who refuse to give up and continue to find a way, this is your fuel. Brought to you by Western Contours Podcast and our partners. Western Fly Covers. Ultralight protection for your gear. Stay on your game backcountry archery the passion and intent of ethical hunting led to the pursuit of building the most lethal bow setups while increasing accuracy the crazy elk company simple solutions in gear giving back to the passion that has given so much My name is Chris Lauk. I'm a Wyoming native, 35 years old. And this is my story. I just finished listening to the episode of Trevor Budd, law enforcement officer, here in the great state of Wyoming. And uh, turns out I actually grew up with that man for, you know, I've known him since... Um, junior high high school age we grew up hunting fishing and you know loving every day like old Blake, Blake Shelton says but he's a good dude but he reached out to me and asked me if I wanted to take part in this new podcast that Guy and Western Contours is putting on because of my story and some of the stuff that I had to deal with and I told him you know I'd be honored To preface this, I'm going to go back and tell you a little bit about my background and the event that changed my life and the struggles and what I'm doing now. So growing up, I lived a really awesome lifestyle when I was growing up, you know, stuff no kid gets to see. Uh, My dad was one of the most elite firearms manufacturers in the nation. So I grew up around those kind of people. Got to assist in training uh, ODAs and special ops ranger operations and law enforcement uh, SWAT teams. Both long-range shooting and entry tactics. Got to play the bad guy, get my head beat in by a lot of these cool people. So my whole life, I grew up being, you know, the big guy. I was always the big guy, but still able to keep up with my friends. 2006, I started uh, a career of coal mining, which I still am today. And which being a coal miner sounds like a, you know, a rough and tumble, hardworking job, but I was an equipment operator, so... It's kind of a sedentary lifestyle. So me already being the big guy, you know, but however being able to keep up and do stuff, you know, you slowly start packing on the pounds. So I yo-yoed up and down and up and down. I was a a state champion powerlifter, did some powerlifting meets and stuff, you know, lost and gained a bunch of weight over the years. But I'd say about – Five years ago is when I really started to get out of control. I got to the point in my weight gain where I weighed, you know, 500 pounds, 498 pounds. This was the year 2018. At this point, you know, series of failed relationships. Uh, really took a toll on my personal well-being and plus eventually getting to the point where I was a prisoner in my own body. No longer able to run, jump, swim, and play, as they say. So, the day that changed my life was the 4th of July of 2018. On this day, it was much like any other Went to a barbecue with some friends. I didn't drink any beer, so I'm not really all that big of a drinker. Some that may know me from back in my earlier years may dispute that fact, but, you know, I didn't really drink that night because I had a plan to do some plumbing work with my friend the next day. So I ducked out of the, the, uh, the barbecue early. And went to my house where I thought, man, I'm a bachelor. I got to clean these toilets before we start working on some of this stuff, before I have one of my friends come over. So I pulled a jug of CLR out from under the kitchen table and I'm a kitchen counter. <laughs> Poured that into a large plastic uh, Burger King cup and... Thought, I'll just pour a dab in each toilet bowl, let it sit overnight, and I'll clean it up. Well, as I turned to walk away from the counter, I saw on the counter was some Clorox bleach. Now, those of you that know me know, you know, I may appear to be relatively smart, but I barely passed high school. Nonetheless, I did not do a very good job in chemistry. Little did I know that when I decided to make my own Chris Lauk collegiate concoction of ultimate clean badassery, that it would almost take my life. So I spun the bottle cap off and dumped it into the cup also. Immediately there's a chemical reaction at Uh, Gave off a noxious fumes that were no more than one foot away from my face standing at my kitchen counter. Instantly took my breath away. I couldn't breathe. So in a panic, because I did serve some time on the mine rescue team before I eventually had to step away due to not being able to complete the job because I was 500 pounds. So I knew I'd hurt myself bad. So, the whole kitchen was full of fumes, so I ran into my garage to get away from the fumes. Reached in my pockets, trying to find my cell phone to call 911. No dice. Phones inside on the counter. Ran inside, grabbed my phone. Ran back out to my garage. Phone was dead. So, I'm thinking... Well, fuck. Preface this with... There's going to be some language in here that... um, May not be suitable for younger children. So I ran back in, grabbed my keys... Ran back out to the garage... And into my driveway to where my car was... So I could plug my phone in to charge the phone to call 911 so I wouldn't die. So... Here I am, out front of my house, can't breathe, and it's like 10 10 p.m. Mind you, when I pulled up, there were people outside celebrating with their friends and family, blowing off fireworks up and down my yard, my uh, street, nothing, nothing. Everybody must have retired early because there's nobody on the street. It was like a ghost town in the Wild West. So as I waited for the Apple to appear on my cell phone, that'll show me that it's powering on, which it did eventually, and it, I called 911, hit send, and then the call failed. Call failed, the phone shut off. And I'm thinking, man, I'm gonna die. So I called, it rebooted again, called 911 again, hit send, and the phone died. The third time I was, it was, it did the reboot. I'm borderline unconscious. It powers up again, and I just hit recent calls, and it didn't even record the 911 calls. And it went down to the first person on my list, which happened to be my friend J W Hammond. And I hit send and it rang. It rang through and he answered. And I said, Help gas. And then click. The phone died again. And I sat there and I just kind of leaned against the tire of my 2010 Dodge Charger sitting out in front of my house thinking, well, at least I'll die outside where people will find me instead of me being a bachelor living in my house dying on my floor where somebody eventually has to find my rotted carcass and at least they'll find me relatively quickly so about five minutes go by and i hear the beautiful sound of a Mm. turbo whining on a ford f-350 pickup As my friend J.W. skids to a stop out front of my house and jumps out of his truck and he's looking at me going, bro, what the hell? I said, hospital. So he told me, you want me to call the hospital or should we take you? And I said, I don't know. And he said, I'll beat the ambulance. So... He helps load me up into the passenger side of that F-350 dually. And we're we're cruising through the small town that I live in. Well, it's more of a medium-sized town of Gillette, Wyoming. We're cruising through that town at an obnoxious speed because he can tell I'm in a bad way. He's on the phone with the ER saying, we're coming in hot. One of my buddies is hurt bad. So, we get there. He, they wouldn't even meet us at the front door. So, he ran in, got a wheelchair. I dumped myself into the wheelchair and he rushes me in. Straight into, through the triage room, into the ER. Nurses and stuff were scattering. Saying, you can't be back here. You can't be back here. And he's like, guys, my friend's dying. We need to get him some oxygen. And I can remember looking down at this nurse and seeing a pulse ox hanging out of her pocket. So I reached over and grabbed it and stuck it on my finger and it read, in the 30s. Well, those of you that know what it takes and about, you know, your vital signs, anything below 80 requires oxygen. You're supposed to be hovering around 96 to 99 to 100. So... They freaked out. They said, What did you do? And I can't breathe. So they put me on a BiPAP and I was able to tell them what I had done. And they had never seen an injury like this before. Combining with that and my 500 pound frame, they were at a loss of what to do. They took me into the ICU. And kept me there, ran tests, and eventually finding out that I'd burned about 95% of my lung tissue to an extreme amount. Everything from the back of my esophagus down to my uh, little air sacs in my lungs were burnt. So I can remember when I called my mother, I called my mom on the phone and I said mom I'm hurt real bad real bad I don't think you need to head up this way they live in Arizona I'll let you know if something changes well the next day they put me through a bunch of machinery I don't know if it was an MRI machine or CAT scan I always get those two mixed up but they took pictures of my internal organs and in my lungs and they said you're You're in a bad way. And then they said, you're going to be here for a while. So at that point, I decided I better call my mom. My mom came up from a little small town in Arizona called Chino Valley. She drove up here and showed up to the hospital where I'd been there for two days. And I looked real bad. And the problem that I had with our local ER here is they had me in the ER for three days before they cleaned and decontaminated my body from the chlorine gas that was on my face. I can remember one point in time they pulled the BiPAP off my face, which is just basically forcing air at the max level into my lungs to try to keep me oxygenated. And it pulled a bunch of the skin off of my face because... They never decontaminated my body from the chlorine gas. So my poor mother had the duty of not only dealing with an extremely wounded adult child who lived like a child. She thought I might be coming home in the next week. So she came to my house, which is kind of my fortress of solitude to the terrible mess which she got to witness firsthand of how I had been living. Burger King wrappers and fast food wrappers of all types all over the floor. Looking like a person that really had given up because I had. And her and a few of her close friends took on the task of decontaminating my house, cleaning my house, and getting it ready, presentable for me to move back into Well, on day seven, I'll never forget, I was sitting in the bed and really not doing good. And my mom came in and looked at me and she just looked. And you know that, I don't know if anybody ever experienced the look on somebody's face and they look at you and think, he's going to die. I got that look from my mom, but she put on a smile and turned around and left. I don't know what she said to them, doctors. I wasn't there, but next thing I know, I'm flying down the flying down the hallway in a bed, in a hospital bed, where I entered a small room that was completely full, wall to wall, with people. They were everything from flight medics to uh, ER staff, ICU nurses and doctors, anesthesiologists, everybody. And I could look at the instruments on the table and knew they were intubating me. So I'm telling, I'm trying to holler to my mom, telling her, hey, we need to pay these bills. We got to do this, do this, because I knew I was going to be, they told me I was being transferred to Casper, Wyoming, to the Wyoming Medical Center. And uh, so my poor mother had to try to find a pen, which one of the flight paramedics handed her a pen. Well, he was actually taking notes on everything I was saying and ripped off the Pad and gave it to my mother. And the anesthesiologist pulled my shoulders back down to the table, held the nozzle of knockout gas over my head, and I grabbed his wrist and said, don't you kill me, you fucker. And he just laughed, and that's the last thing I remember. At that point in time, I was... I didn't know I wouldn't wake up for another two weeks. I was in a coma for two weeks where after they intubated me, they rushed me down to the airport and Lear jetted me to Casper, Wyoming. They weren't sure if they were able to actually fly with me because of my stature, but evidently they must have jettisoned everything unnecessarily out of that airplane and made it work. So they flew me down to Wyoming, uh, Casper, Wyoming, to the Wyoming Medical Center. My poor mother had to drive down there and eventually got there to where she found out that I went critical in the air and was not doing good. And I was in a coma. Where well, I'd remain for two weeks. And they actually made my mom sign a DNR order. Because they told her they were doing absolutely everything possible to keep me alive. During my coma, I could get into it, but let's just say I wasn't in my body. I had some extreme things happen to me while I was on the other side. I grew up as a Christian. I've grown up as a Christian in my early 20s, I became a Christian. I won't go into everything that happened to me during that experience, but I could just tell you it was earth shattering and life changing. To the point of hearing some voice while I'm screaming, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. And I heard a voice tell me, well, prove it. That's as much as I'll share about that ordeal. So two weeks later, I wake up. I remember opening my eyes and seeing my lovely mother sitting in the corner of the room where she had made it her duty to stand sentinel over me and make sure I was getting what I needed. And I remember opening my eyes and looking at my mom and thinking, just trying to talk. I opened my mouth to say, hi, mom. And I couldn't talk because... They had removed the intubation and had trache- gave me a trach, and that bypassed my vocal cords, so I couldn't talk. And my body was completely immobilized, so I couldn't move at all. I couldn't lift a finger and say hi or wave to my mother, who was sitting in the corner reading a magazine, or maybe she was texting. I can't remember. But she looked up at me, and she saw my eyes were open, and I was looking at her. So she came over and knelt next to my bed and said, Chris, you're in Casper. You've been here for two weeks. You've been in a coma. And we're going to get through this. And, you know, I'm like, well, so from then on, you know, I would – the process of getting better in the hospital consisted of them having to come in and vacuum my lungs out with something that looked like the consistency of chicken liver coming out of it and point at some points I felt like I was actually drowning in my own lung fluid everything from I had hoses in every orifice you can imagine up my nose In my throat, down my, out, I had catheters, and I had rectal tubes, I had IVs coming out of every which way. And I couldn't move. I couldn't talk. All I could do was look at people. And due to my stature, it was really embarrassing. Whenever they had to move me, they had to call a lifting team from the hospital to come up and move me. I'll never forget. I could think, praying to the God, praying to God, saying, "What if I can get out of here? I can, I want, I will change my life." So, about a month and a half of being in Casper, growing really close to some of the most incredible medical workers I've ever met. They decided to transfer me down to Johnstown. Colorado, which is outside of Greeley, to the long term care facility there, where I would slowly be weaned off the ventilator and go through rehab. That's a special hospital that weans people off of respirators and horrible injuries and is a rehabilitation place. So they took me by ambulance down to Johnstown, where Eventually, I was able to be weaned off of the ventilator. They removed my tracheotomy. And I began the grueling task of rehabilitating my body. I had to relearn how to walk, how to talk, everything. Well, I didn't really have to relearn how to talk. Once I had to do some speech therapy and cognitive therapy, to make sure, make sure that my brain hadn't sustained any major damage due to the lack of lack of oxygen for so long. The hardest part was getting my physical strength back, getting everything from just being able to lift my arms to being able to sit up in bed, to stand, to walk. So. Those are some hard times, and I could go into that, but I don't want this to be an hour long. I'll never forget wheeling myself down to the – mind you, I'm hooked up to oxygen full time. You never forget wheeling my – so the my day looked like once I got to the rehabilitation side, I had a full day. I had to wake up. Get myself via wheelchair down to the chow hall, eat some chow. Then I had occupational therapy, physical therapy, speech therapy throughout the day. So it was set up like a class, breaks for lunch. Then I was usually done by 4.30 where I'd have to get myself down to dinner and get myself back. Slowly I gained the ability to be free. I'll never forget the first time I could actually use the toilet again or shower without having somebody having to let me crap in the bed and come in and turn me and clean me up. Being able to sit on the porcelain throne was a whole nother thing. It's, you never realize what you miss until it's gone. So I'll never forget the day they discharged me out of that hospital My mom had to return home to Arizona for a short period of time to um, visit with my father who had come up, up and down while I was in the coma. So she had to do some personal affairs down in Arizona. So she wasn't there to watch me using the aid of oxygen and a cane. I was able to walk out of that hospital and I thought to myself... Okay, guys, now the work starts. But my lovely aunt let me stay with her. She happened to live in Greeley. She came and was with me in the hospital and walked with me out. And I stayed there, and my mom returned to Colorado to come pick me up to take me back to my house in Wyoming, where she lived with me for another two weeks or Whatever, Well, about a month where I did physical rehabilitation in Gillette. And my mom was real hesitant on allowing me to have a friend of mine who I used to power lift with be my physical therapist, Sean Gallagher. And my mom pulled him aside and said, don't you take it easy on him. And Sean just laughed and he says, yeah, I know how – tough and how dumb old Chris is so I'm going to push him harder than anybody else I know so with his help I was able to actually return to work on December 3rd of 20 of the same year of 2018 which was a big deal I was able to return back to work so I was able to go back to work where I started slowly starting to work out and stuff so I took a year, it took about a year for me to get to the point of being strong enough and independent enough on my own, even though I got off the oxygen before I went back to work, which is something the doctors said I'd never do. I would. They said I'd never return back to work, which is something I was able to do, and slowly getting back into my normal life. I'm a competitive shooter. So, I do a lot of competitive shooting. So, my goal is to get back. So, first match I shot was actually, I still had my oxygen tank on and I shot my first USPSA match. So, later on, later on, farther down the road, we'll fast forward a little bit to about a year ago. I was still weighing about 465 pounds I'd lost some weight being in the coma. I lost about 80 pounds, so I was right at about 400. But then I gained 60 back in the year of just trying to get my life back in order from this ordeal. And I looked at my doctor and he said, you need to do this bariatric surgery. You need to go through surgery. And I said, I won't. So I joined a weight loss program called Ideal Protein where I had some awesome luck. Not luck, but uh, outcome from that. I lost 150 pounds on that program. And eventually that clinic went out of business, so I transferred over to a new program through Momentum Weight Loss and Fitness to a program called Shift, Set, Go, which is actually real close to the program of Ideal Protein. So I've had real good luck with them. A lot, I'm down from my heaviest. I was 500 pounds. Today I stepped on the scale and weighed 252. I'm two pounds away from being half the man I used to be. From a size 65 waist down to a 38. From a 7XL shirt down to a extra large. I'm back, man. I got my mojo back and nothing's stopping me. I've been competing the whole time during this weight loss and my speed, my my quickness on my feet has almost tripled. In fact, at this moment while I'm sitting here, I'm getting ready to go on night shifts at my work. And then after my week of work, I'm heading to St. George, Utah to compete in a match called Hard as Hell. Multi gun match, and I'm performing in the kit division where you got to wear body armor, helmet, and all sorts of stuff. And you got to negotiate obstacles and engage targets out to 600 yards. I feel I'm ready. I have escaped my prison. And I'm not looking back. I live my life looking at it as embrace the suck. And do something today your free future self will be proud of. Because, like Trevor said, we only get one spin on this earth, man. We only get one chance to do it. So make it happen. I'm proud to say I'm a brand ambassador for the they made me a brand ambassador for Momentum Weight Loss and Training, which so I'm helping people. In fact, a man that's where I am now escape his prisons and better his life. So I'll be proudly representing the Momentum Weight Loss team at this match. Me- Sorry, I got a phone call. But, um. I lost my spot, so I'm sorry. I'll be proudly representing the Momentum team and moving forward and helping people escape the prisons which I escaped from. I now have a new lease on life. I feel like I've conquered my injury. And I hope to make a career change to something I've always wanted to do. I've been a coal miner for 15 years, and my plan is within the next year, year and a half to eventually start the process of getting into law enforcement. My father was a law enforcement officer. My mother was a 911 dispatcher, both for over 30 years. I feel that's been my calling for my entire life is to be a law enforcement officer. So just remember guys It ain't over till it's over You're not out of the fight Embrace the suck And Do something today Your future self will be proud of Thank you And like Trevor said If you guys ever need to reach out Find me on social media My name is Chris Lauk. My 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 message boxes are always open, and uh, you know the rest, guys. Let me know how I can help. Thanks, Guy and the Western Contours team for hearing my story. Thanks.